Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're here for this third installment in a series we've entitled Seeing Clearly. I mean, we came up with that because it's 2020. Isn't that amazing how creative we are? Anyway, uh, we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about, hey, if I'm going to make the most of 2020, then I need to see God clearly. I need to see myself clearly. And today inside your bulletin, you find an outline that tells you that we also need to see others clearly. You can find this on your app, too. And I hope you'll take advantage of that, the Centerpoint app. And while I'm talking about that, it even brings up a point why this message is so important. Our cell phones are great things. I mean, we've got all kinds of social interaction we can have uh, through YouTube or through all kinds of, uh, you know, through Facebook or other social media platforms. You can even get on the Centerpoint app. But sometimes now, because of this, uh, we're so glued to our devices, we don't pay attention to the people around us. I mean, it highlights the problem we're talking about today of how important it is to see others clearly. Do you know that there are restaurants now that will give you 5% off your dinner if you will check your cell phone with the receptionist at the front desk before you come in? There's a place in Los Angeles that does this, and the owner of the restaurant, they said, why are you giving people 5% off? And he goes, we work so hard to create the right atmosphere at dinner, and we work so hard on the food, and then we have people coming in here, and they're texting, and they're watching videos. And he goes, we want people to connect to each other. In New York City, there are places that are called social interaction clubs, okay? And you can rent these places out, and the whole idea is you bring people together there. They have to leave their cell phones at the door, and you go in, and they're playing Uno and Monopoly and Sorry and all these games, sitting around tables playing games and stuff, because they said people have lost the ability to talk to each other. And we go through life looking at our phones and don't even see the people around us. Well, if any of that resonates with you, you'll understand why the Bible makes it such an emphasis to tell us that we need to interact with each other and care for each other. The scripture says we're supposed to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. But Jesus said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And if I'm going to make the most out of 2020, then I need to see others clearly. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, today, I just pray that you will help us see others clearly. Lord, we live in a time when we can get completely self-absorbed, completely focused on ourselves and our own interests and our own hobbies. And we forget to listen. We forget to interact. And we forget how much others add to our lives and how much we can add to theirs. So today, Lord, I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way and show us from your word why it's so important to have relationships with others and how to get that done. In the name of Christ, I pray these things. Amen. Well, to kind of tackle this subject, I just divide it in three parts. Point one is simply this. To make the most of this year, I need to see people God has placed ahead of me. We're also going to be talking about people beside me and people coming up behind me. But I want to start with people who are ahead of us. These would be people who know more than we know, like personal trainers or mentors or uh, sports coaches, music coaches, financial advisors, a professor in college, a life coach. These are people who can add substantially to your life because they can show you how to do things a better way. Solomon talked about this in Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I mean, what if this year I scheduled time, what if this year... I intentionally reached out to someone who's ahead of me so I could learn from them. So I could do something in my life 
better, more efficiently, maybe at a whole nother level than what I did last year. I mean, think how much better my life would be and how much more enriching it would be. What if I could learn a skill that would save me three hours a week and I could invest that in something else? Well, that brings us to point A. Wise people can help me see ways to work smarter. This is why I want to walk with the wise. It's why I want to get a life coach or a personal trainer. They could show me, I might have been working out for years with no results. You get a personal trainer and bam, all of a sudden the results are coming. Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. Oh, man, I literally put this proverb to the test last year. We had a big limb fall in our backyard. And I went out there. I was going to drag it down to the street. It was too big to move. And so I got my trusty hatchet out. And that hatchet had been sharpened like never. Okay, whatever. Okay. And I'm out there hacking away at this thing. And if I would have taken the time to sharpen it, it would have been so much better. But like four blisters later, okay, I finally get this thing in a shape where I can haul it down to the street. But I was thinking about this exact thing where it's like I didn't think about it enough to actually do it. But anyway, I did think about it that using a dull axe, you can get it done, but it makes for hard work. What if I hung around somebody who could show me how to get things done better? Well, why wouldn't I want that? Why wouldn't you want that? Well, that's why we need to see people ahead of us. I mean, be thinking about this. Because even if I'm parenting, what if I thought about people who were ahead of me a few years? I mean, I'm always so grateful for my brother and my sisters and for Debbie's family, where we had people ahead of us and just hanging around with our siblings and watching them raise their kids. Well, there were a lot of questions that were addressed. We saw how they handled things. A stage ahead of us when we were just starting out in parenting. I mean, it makes such an enormous difference to be around people who are one step ahead of you. And what if we thought like that? And we said, hey, I want to pick your brain. Can, can we invite you all over for dinners? Because you guys are a few years ahead of us in parenting. Can we just ask you some parenting tips? And man, it could save me so much work and effort. Point B, wise people also can help me see things I'll never have the time to learn on my own. I mean, you and I will learn by the school of hard knocks. We will. The problem with the school of hard knocks is the tuition is very high. And it hurts because those knocks are real hard. And it's one thing if it's a Goldilocks thing of too hot, too cold, just right. But a lot of problems in our lives, it's not just three options. There might be 87 options. And I might not live long enough to, to find the right one. I mean, listen to a couple of uh, pieces of wisdom from Scripture. First of all, Proverbs 19.20. Get all the advice and instruction you can so you'll be wise the rest of your life. But how long is that? And that takes us to Psalm 90, verse 12. Moses said this. He prayed this. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Could we read that verse together, please? Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I mean, how many years do I have left professionally? How many years, if I live to an average lifespan, do I have to live at all? 
How many years before my kids leave home? Why would I wait? Not only can I sharpen the axe and get things done better, there's some things I'm never going to learn them in time. And so I'm going to go to a parenting conference now. I'm going to go to a marriage conference now. I'm going to sign up for that class today or I'm going to get a life coach. Why am I waiting? Yeah, I'll probably discover this on my own or I might. But I don't know if I have that much time. And that brings us um, to point C, that I need to see wise counsel as worth the extra time and money and effort I need to invest in obtaining it. I mean, getting a college degree is an investment. Taking on a personal trainer is an investment. But you and I need to see that as a worthy investment because I'm investing in myself. By spending time with people who are ahead of me. They know more than I do. They've lived longer than I have. They've already done the parenting thing. Hmm. Buy the truth and don't sell it. Get wisdom and discipline and understanding. I mean, buying the truth implies that this is going to cost you something. <clears throat> That's why it's important to buy a good book. It's okay to invest money in going to a conference. It's okay to invest money in a life coach. Because they're going to save me all kinds of effort. I'll work smarter instead of just harder. And I'll never have time to discover what they already know. Oh, if I could just see people ahead of me. God's put people in front of me. And I can even seek counsel from others. Hey, do you know somebody I could talk to? Do you know a book I could read? Do you know a conference I can go to? And what if we did that? This year, we could make a giant leap forward, personally, professionally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. I mean, we're even starting classes here, the centered life and other things, to help you understand, hey, this is how you can make the most of your time, the most of your involvement here. But it's going to take an investment, and we need to see it like that. And finally, point D Good coaching only works if I'm willing to receive correction. Now that's the truth. I mean, what good would it do to go and seek counsel from the smartest person you know if you're not willing to do what they say? I mean, if I won't listen to advice, then why get it? Let the godly strike me. It'll be a kindness. If they correct me, it's soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. Psalm 141.5. Proverbs 12.1. To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Could we read that verse together, please? To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Okay, now this time pronounce it the way I did with a strong emphasis on stupid. Okay, let's do that, all right? To learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Now, I don't want to be stupid this year. And you don't either. Well, then, what if we found people who were ahead of us, asked their counsel, and actually applied it? And said, I'm going to listen. I'm tired of wasting time. I'm tired of not being able to reach my goals. I'm tired of beating my head against the wall. I want to work smarter. I'm never going to have enough time to discover this on my own. This is an investment I'm going to make, and I'm going to listen. 
That's seeing people ahead of me. But it's also important in 2020.2 here to make the most of this year. I need to see the people God has placed beside me. Not just people ahead of me, but people beside me. We had this verse in the outline last week. I want to bring it back again to remind us how important it is that Christianity is indeed personal. I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it's not private. It's corporate. Listen to Romans 8, 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, Jesus, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is why people in church refer to themselves as brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters of Christ. Spiritually, that's who we are. This is our identity. And Jesus died on the cross he, so that he could make a way so that many of us can come. So he'd be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Look around this room right now. Take a look around. Literally, look around. These are your brothers and sisters. Okay? I don't know if you realize this, but in the room where we meet here, we could have set the room up with a stage on one end and had a longitudinal thing, kind of like a theater. But we chose to put the stage where I'm standing right here in the middle of the room so the chairs would fan out like they are right here. And the reason being is so that when you're sitting in this room, if you look to the right and you look to the left, you will see other people, your brothers and sisters. This was important to us. It's also why we didn't want a giant stage or a, a big podium. Because we want this to be, hey, you're among friends here. We're in this together. And Jesus wants many brothers and sisters. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen? I want you to embrace this. This is so important that we see each other because it's not only that we need people who can tell us things we don't know, we need to put our faith into practice. You know, when we're talking about, hey, I'm going to receive correction, put this into practice. Well, I'm going to need people to help me with that. And that brings us to point A, you and I need relationships with other believers to mature spiritually and genuinely love God and others. I mean, how am I going to know if I genuinely love others if there's no others that I interact with? How am I going to learn to trust God and to put into practice the things he gives me when I struggle with things on my own and my willpower is weak and sometimes I get discouraged and the devil tempts me to quit and I always fold? It would be great if I had somebody to come alongside me. So in your outline, I've put together, I've listed 14 one another statements. There are many more. I could have put in another time this many, literally. But these are 14 one another statements right out of the Bible. I just want you to listen to them. This is how God wants us to think about each other. He wants us to love one another, honor one another, accept one another, greet one another, pray for one another, serve one another, forgive one another, be patient with one another, Submit to one another, teach and counsel one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, and care for one another. I mean, this is an important list, and each one of those say exactly what they mean. But how are we going to do this if we don't ever come together? This is why it's so important to be a part of a worship experience on a regular basis, why it's so important to be a part of a small group, because even in a worship experience, this is kind of like a lecture. And I had lectures in college classes, but then we also had labs where we put it in practice. 
we got to think of the small groups like a lab where we can go and try this out. And we can encourage each other and exhort each other. And by the way, if you're going, well, I don't know if I know the difference between encourage and exhort. Encourage means, hey, go get it. You can do it. Exhort means I'm going to kick you in the rump if you don't go. Okay? That's exhort. I'm going to shove you. Let's go. Dry it up. Don't quit. Now, I want to do a little bit of exhortation even right now. I just want to speak to men here. There's a men's group that meets every Tuesday morning at our church office at 6 a.m. It's a men's study. We have about 15 minutes of a presentation, either myself or someone else will be out there making a presentation of a short lesson. And then we have 30 to 45 minutes of discussion. We have coffee and we have breakfast. You sit around a table and we actually discuss this stuff. It's practical. And I invite men to come all the time. They say, I've never been a part of a small group, don't have any men in my life, never talk about spiritual things. If you can make the time from 6 to a little after 7 every Tuesday morning, you got a place to belong. We're starting up again for the spring semester, and we're going to be studying a book. It's entitled For Men Only, and it's a guide to the inner lives of women. And so it's a, um, it's a handy book. And, um, oh, wait, that's not it. Sorry. It's this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the first of 27 volumes on that one. No, uh, this one is chock full of all kinds of great research, biblical, uh, understand, biblical wisdom, and then some practical applications. This is the best book Debbie ever made me read. It really is. It really is. It's life-changing. It's eight weeks. And we're starting to meet this Tuesday. You can sign up for it today. So I'm going to do my best exhortation here. Men, if you're not in a group and you have the time to do it, do it. Invest the time. Why would you wait on your marriage? Why would you wait if you have daughters not to understand them so you could be a better dad? If you're single and you're dating, why would you wait so you wouldn't understand how to date a woman and treat her correctly? Invest the time. How did I do an exhortation? Was that okay? Okay. Guys, what if we did this in every area of our lives? We have all kinds of other connect groups too. This is so you and I can get together and do these very things, teach each other, counsel each other, honor each other, even greet one another. Do you know how important it is to actually have people who greet you and know you? Oh. This is part of the Christian life. And it's a sweet part. One of the point here, point B, if you and I are going to do this brother and sister in Christ thing rightly, I'm going to see my brothers and sisters more accurately when I have a sober judgment of myself. I mean, last week we talked about seeing ourselves as God sees us. I am forgiven. I am a lot of times we won't join a connect group, can't do it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I won't belong. And yet the scripture tells us that we're a part of God's family. He's adopted us into his family. He has paid the penalty for all our sins. We are covered over with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I belong, I'm forgiven, and I'm righteous. And I don't have to know everything. In fact, that's why we teach and counsel each other. And if I'm sober in my judgment, I understand that. But I, and because I don't want to say I'm not good enough, but sober judgment also says I'm not too important to be involved with ordinary people. Listen to a couple of scriptures on this. 
Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. And this is an honest and accurate self-evaluation. Dear brothers and sisters, that was Romans 12.3. Here's Galatians 6.1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Can we read this last statement together, please? You are not that important. Would you all say that to me, please? Say, just say it this way. John, you are not that important. So let's go ahead and say it. John, you are not that important. Well, neither are you. <laughs> yeah, I set you up for that one, okay? You're not. If I am too important to help you overcome some problem, to walk alongside you while you're trying to learn a lesson that God wants to teach you, if I am too important to go have a conversation with some men around a table on Tuesday morning, even when I don't have anybody, anything else going on at that time, and I'm not in some other group, where's that coming from? I mean, where's that coming from? I need people. And by the way, this goes back to the investment thing. This is an investment. I'm trusting that God will use others to accept me and show me how to grow in accepting others. I'm going to learn from others, and he's even going to teach me how to teach. This is so important, and it ties right into point three. Not only do I need to see the people ahead of me and the people beside me, you and I need to see people that God has placed behind us, people that we can give a hand up. I mean, think of it like a chain. There are people that I'm learning from, and there are people I can teach the things I've learned. Now, I'm a link in that chain. This is so important. A, I need to see people whom I can help. There are people around me that just need help. When Jesus was talking about Judgment Day, here's what he said. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, well, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. I hope you notice in that list about feeding people, giving something to drink, visiting when they're sick in prison, has nothing to do with our income level or education or background. Nothing. I can give what I can. I can show mercy where it's needed, and so can you. I'm a link in the chain. Other people showed me mercy. Other people helped me. There may have been a time in your life when you were down and out and somebody rescued you. What if in 2020 God showed you a way to return the favor and pay it forward? 
This could be the best year ever. There's not only people coming behind me that I can help, I also need to see people whom, whom I can invest. Whom I can invest. If I'm a parent, this certainly includes my kids. Or if I'm married, it includes my spouse, making sure they get everything they need. But it goes beyond our immediate family, our biological children. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was, Paul was his mentor. Timothy was the protege. I mean, this was his understudy. Timothy, my dear son, son in the faith here, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now you teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Timothy, you heard me teach these things to you. Now you pass them on to others and teach them to do the same thing. I mean, what if we prayed about that and thought about people? There are people working with our student ministry who do this every single time they lead a student connect group. But it doesn't have to be in a formal setting like that. It could be a nephew or a niece. It could be a coworker. Somebody you think has real potential. He or she could do something great if somebody invested in them. And it doesn't have to be just chronological age either. I mean, Timothy, Paul told Timothy, hey, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. You're going to have to teach some people who are spiritually much younger than you, even though they're chronologically older. It's okay. But what if you and I thought like that and prayed like that? And we said, God, open our eyes so we can see these people. Just one. I'm not asking you to do this for a hundred. Nobody has time for that. But what if we considered, God, is there one person I can invest in this year? Could make an eternal difference. Point C, last point here. I need to see people whom I can tell about Jesus. There are people who need my help. There are people in whom I can invest that are coming along behind me. There are also people around me who just need Jesus. They're not brothers and sisters yet. They're not. John 4, 35, Jesus told his disciples, he said, wake up and look around. The field's already ripe for harvest. The situation was this. Jesus had just spent time talking with a woman who'd been through a pretty rough life uh, by a well where she got him some water. He'd asked her to get him some water. And after he finished this conversation with the woman of the well and explained to her that he was the Messiah, she believed. And it says that she went and got all the friends from her nearby village, everybody she knew, and she brought the whole village out to meet Jesus. And that verse, it's written right here, John 4, 35, that's Jesus telling the disciples. As you, he's sitting by the well here with his disciples, and there's a whole village of people streaming out to meet him. And the woman is leading the way going, there he is. That's the guy who told me about eternal life. There's the guy who changed my life. you got to come meet him. you got to come meet him. And Jesus said, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Do you know there are people all around us who are dying under a truckload of guilt and shame. And they don't know Jesus came to forgive them of all their sins. They have failed miserably at trying to shape up their lives. They never have the strength to get things done. They're trapped in an addiction. They've got a temper that's out of control, a tongue that's out of control. They've got a mess of broken relationships. They don't know anything about the Holy Spirit who can empower them and change them from the inside out. 
when we talk about all these things about Christian fellowship, about loving each other and caring for each other and encouraging each other, they don't have brothers and sisters in Christ. They go hang out at a bar at happy hour. And guess what they find out? Not everybody's very happy there. They're drowning their sorrows, not working through their problems. Wake up and look around. That may have been the way Jesus said it. Instead of, hey, wake up and look around. That probably wasn't how he said it. And if he was standing here this morning right in front of us, he would probably say, wake up and look around. 2020 is in front of you. You have almost 350 of the 365 days left. Can you see the people in front of you who can help you work smarter? Can you see the people beside you who can encourage you and you can encourage them? Can you see the people who need your help? Can you see people you need to invest in? Can you see people who need Jesus because they're dying? And what if we pray to prayer like that? Oh, God, open my eyes and help me see. This could be an amazing year. Giant leaps forward personally. I might be involved in leading someone to Christ. I could invest in someone and their whole life will change. But not if I'm just doing this. I got to wake up and look around. So do you. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I don't want to miss 2020. I don't want to be glued to a TV set, glued to a cell phone. I want to see you. Oh, God, I want to see you. And God, I want to see others you've placed in my life. If that is a desire of your heart right now, then pray it right where you are and say, God, would you show me the others in my life that are important for me to know? God, who can I learn from this year? Who can I encourage and be encouraged by? Who can I invest in? And who can I tell about Jesus? Oh God, open our eyes. God, open my eyes. I don't want to miss this whole year. Lead me in the path of everlasting life and give me the strength to follow. I pray these things, Jesus, because I need you so much. And I thank you for the people you have placed in my life already. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray these things together. Amen.